Hey everybody, this is Eddie Dastius. We're here for another episode with the Divine Purpose Podcast. Please go online, www.dppodcast.com for the latest episode. Or you can listen to our podcast on all the major platforms, Apple Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google, Heart. Anywhere you listen to your podcast, Spotify, you should find us. So today, we have a great guest. Her name is Malika Cox. She's a project manager, group facilitator, and community transformation practitioner. Those are my words. We're going to have her talking more about herself. But before we go further, let's give a shout out to our sponsors. Do you want to maximize the value of your commercial property and achieve optimal productivity and efficiency in your day-to-day business operations? That's where Dacius Facilities Management can help. DFM offers Boston-area businesses help in key areas like building and preventive maintenance, handyman services, project and vendor management, and even security consulting at competitive rates. Call Dacius Facilities Management now at 617-237-0106 or visit DaciusFM.com today. Looking for facilities management, call them now, 617-237-0106, or go online, www.dacusfm.com. Like promise, we have a wonderful guest. Her name is Malika Cox. Malika, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to have you, and we're going to start the show and we, we're here with a new episode with Malika Cox. Let's go with the show. Welcome to the Divine Purpose Podcast, where we transport you along one of the more dynamic journeys of life. Have you ever been curious to know what it takes to become a successful leader or about knowing the secrets of life through the Bible? How about engaging in conversation where no topics are off limits? We will take you to new levels with guests who can help you grasp the importance of your calling. Now, here's your host, Eddie Dacius, founder of Dacius Facilities Management. Yes, uh, so I don't know if you're familiar with this podcast, on Divine Purpose Podcast. It's all about the guests. It's about your journey. So the question we will start with you today is, what can you tell us about you? About me? Um, well, my name is Malika Cox, and I am a consultant when it comes to community transformation, restorative justice work, um, criminal justice reform, as well as transformation um, practitioners on the so on the social side of things. So I kind of like to think of myself as a repairologist. Mm. And, Yes, I have a degree in reconciliation and a degree in theology, and I'm working on a degree on international law. So I'd like to think that I'm somebody who comes to a situation where there's been harm, and I look at how everyone can be healed and how everyone can walk away whole. And instead of bringing just punishment, but looking at how do we bring restoration. Wow. And and that's that's good to hear because... We, we we need people like you, right? We need people to help um, the, our communities. Let's 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 dive a, a little bit deeper in who you are, so your upbringing, favorite childhood memory, 
What was your hustle dynamic? Can you share anything with us today? Sure. So um, my favorite childhood memory is myself at a ba about an age seven, and I am living on um, I'm living in California on Venice Beach, and I see myself in the sand, and um, it was a beautiful time. I lived in Venice Beach, and even my school, our recess was on the beach. So we were across the street from the Pacific Ocean, and I just remember I would go every day to the beach, and I would build sand castles, and we would make sand pies, and <laughs> I just felt um, a lot of peace. Of course, it was 72 degrees, sunny, and yeah, good much. weather, good weather, right? <laughs> yeah, wonderful weather. Spending time with my dad on the pier, spending time with my mom building sand castles. So I really. Really, I would say all of the time that I got to spend in Venice Beach. No, that's that's good. Good to you, and thank you for sharing. So, one one thing we realize that um, people, and that's what we hear from a lot of our guests, um, previous guests. They said those questions allow them to reflect. So, the question will be: All all these memories shape who you are now like oh do you cherish them do you keep so what what do you do with them so how they help you go day to day in your work well i think you know it's really interesting because i do think my first formative years was very similar to kind of an Eden or a yeah. paradise. And um, I moved, and this is one of the challenges that I'll share, but when I was eight years old, we moved to Oklahoma City, uh, Oklahoma. And um, it was the first time I realized that I was mixed race. My father's mm. black, white. So I kind of left a utopia and at age eight was introduced to um, racism. And so wow. to me, that was like the fall, you know, it was like leaving Eden and coming into a broken world with arbitrary. Um, so I use that as part of my uh, desire to repair as a repairologist to um, to mend what has been torn. So, and, and I think you kind of type to it. So we're going to talk about challenges and you just mentioned one, but can you share two more challenges in, in your life and how did they, how did you, work with them? Did you succeed? What was it, your process dealing with that? Well, when I was um, living in New Orleans um, a couple decades ago, and I um, was working for a restaurant called the Louisiana P Pizza Kitchen. I remember at the time I was agnostic and I didn't have faith um, in anything really, let alone myself. Yeah. So I was in a really tough time and um, yet, yet, you know, I know my grandmother was always praying for me and I, I had a sense something wasn't right. I had a mm. sense that something was really oh, something yeah. bad happened. And I um, ended up on December 1st, 1996, I chose um, not to go to work, but on the day that I was scheduled, not because I didn't feel well, but because I just had an uneasy feeling. Yeah. And um, I went to the airport to fly back to Oklahoma City. And by the time I called work and told them I wasn't coming in, I'm sorry, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm heading back to Oklahoma City. By the time I got on the plane, three people had been killed on the shift I was supposed to work. Wow. And at that point, um, obviously, I was devastated, traumatized, had survivor's guilt. But I also 
felt like the God I didn't believe in, like saved me. The God yeah. I didn't, yeah, you know, away. And so I ended up, you know, in that moment converting to Christianity, having um, a really beautiful walk, yet still dealing with a lot of trauma and anxiety and PTSD. But yes. at the same time, having uh, a savior and a faith that I could lean on. Um, you, you mentioned something very interesting here. You said survivor guilt. Mm-hmm. Can you can you tap into that so people who probably not familiar with this? Can you yes elaborate? I, absolutely. And I do think obviously with as many um, violent acts we're seeing in the United States, more people are going to um, experience this. It's a psychological phenomenon that's basically if you survive some sort of tragedy and other people died, there's this thing um, that's called survivor's guilt, and it's a guilt you carry. Like, why them? Why not me? Why did I get to survive? Why do I get to continue on when people I cared about or loved um, died? And it's, it tends, I mean, there's a lot of psychological implications regarding survivor's guilt. Yeah. But it tends to alter and shape kind of who you are going forward. And obviously, um, there's tons of treatments now and, um, mindfulness uh you know activities and things you can do to work on that but for me it will never really change the fact that i feel that i'm here um to serve others i'm not here just for myself anymore i'm not saying wow. i don't care for myself love myself have something yeah. <laughs> i think those things are really important but i do think it has altered a bit of my at least dna calling yeah, it's like, yeah, definitely. And this is what we said, uh, embrace your calling. Maybe that was your spark, you know, your spark moment where things kind of changed for you and kind of give you the better perspective or better sense of who you really are, what your purpose on on this earth. But um, let's talk about accomplishment. You, you're quite accomplished. So can you debug everything for us what was the first what second and what's going on next well i um i got i decided that i really wanted to study theology and go to seminary um because you know i came into the faith as somebody who really didn't know um anything you know and i i didn't know the difference between jonah and noah (laughs) i just you know i knew this personal spiritual mystical relationship I had with Jesus the Christ, but I didn't yeah. know scriptures at all. And I wanted to understand, you know, not just scriptures translated into English, to be honest with you, I wanted to understand the context, I wanted to understand yeah. the language. And so I started a master's program, I believe in 2013 in um, Alliance Theological Seminary. And I um, was in New York at the time. And so I, I did that and I studied Hebrew, um, Hebrew one, Hebrew two. I went to Israel what and i went to palestine and i was in all the places that um where the actual stories are written i started to understand the eastern context that's been left out of our american western yes paradigm the collective um versus individualistic reading of the scriptures hebrew which is poetic and and artistic and produces imagery and how that kind of gets butchered often in English. Yeah. So it was a really 
incredible time. I ended up switching to Regent University because I had moved back to Oklahoma City. I needed to finish up online. And I went from just studying the Hebrew Bible to actual practical theology, more like public theology. So okay. I studied a lot about how to embody Christ as a minister or how you work with people whose systems are not for. So it's mm. like how to be the hands and the feet in a, in a way that Jesus did. Um, which was great. And I, I really enjoyed so much of what I learned. I studied the theology of beauty. I studied a lot of the Eastern Orthodox beliefs and, and just different denominations, the history of the church, the history of first and second century Jews and Christians, and got so much more context and so much understanding um, about the scriptures and yeah. how important history is when you're talking about the people of God. Um, so I did that. And then after that, I, I was looking for a uh, PhD, but I found this program in Northern Ireland. It was actually mm. College Dublin. The campus was in Belfast, Northern Ireland. The um, degree was a master's of philosophy okay. in conflict resolution and reconciliation. And so I was fascinated because I was really interested in um, how uh, Desmond Tutu and mm. Ella worked with the Truth Commission to repair the harm done by apartheid. And so I ended up doing this program. I really worked, um, you know, I studied the Northern Ireland conflict. I studied the South African Truth Commission. So I saw the beauty and I also saw the shortcomings. You know, there are a lot of things that a lot of Black South Africans weren't happy about. Um, mm -hmm. The Northern Ireland conflict that were good, but there were things that weren't repaired during the Northern yeah. peace agreement. So I got to study that. I went to Israel in Palestine for five weeks. And actually was in Palestine. I was in East Jerusalem and I studied peace building grassroots between uh, in organizations that were jointly led with Palestinians and Israelis and how they were working on overcoming asymmetrical power dynamics, how they were overcoming segregation, how they were yeah. overcoming all sorts of things to come together and try to work for equality and um, and a positive piece, not just a negative piece. So it, it was really fascinating. And then after about five years of working in Oklahoma City doing community transformation, I applied to Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy. And now I'm working on, on setting international law, international law and reparations, international law and human rights, um, as well as conflict resolution and leadership. Wow, that's 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 great. That's great to hear. So let, let's go back because one way we can um, get an overview of Malika is to see how was Malika in high school? <laughs> um, you know, I would not be the person you would be thinking that um, she would be working in local community and international organizations doing peace building and uh, human rights. I, I was, uh, when I came to Oklahoma and I was really confronted yeah. with a lot of things that I didn't know how to change, I kind of um, just started to focus on what I was interested in, which is acting. So okay. I was um, in the drama club all through high school. I actually, we had um, each club had the elected princess for like a pageant. Yeah. And I was the drama princess, which looking back now, I think is really funny because I was. <laughs> <laughs> and I even moved to uh, California afterwards and was at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts for a bit and studied acting. I did some Shakespeare at Griffith Park. I've done I did a few 
just um, small parts, you know, on in, in like a Coke commercial, just little things, not that I had a speaking role, but I did a few uh, PSAs too and some acting in Oklahoma City as well. So I really wanted to be an actor or ultimately a director. I really felt that um, story, which I actually do think is a beautiful way to bring people into higher truths, but yeah. that story is a way to kind of um, pierce the heart and all the resistance when it comes to truth and and just I still find it to be significant and I'm really glad I had the opportunity to study. Uh, it actually prepared me for public speaking. Yeah, um, a lot of the work that I do, you know, with with connecting with different communities, it's very important that I'm able to communicate well and that. Um, so it, it was great. It's just I you wouldn't have thought I was interested in international relations or community transformation at that time. And, and one thing I, and thank you for, for your answers. Uh, that's excellent and to hear, because one thing we like to hear and we feel like that's great to, for our audience is to say, it's okay that you change course because you never know where you were and you probably have to get to the path and some, there'll be some bumps, you know, and you still live your life. So now, we we had a guest, her name is Jennifer Williams, and she was emphasizing on transferable skills. Mm -hmm. Anything you learn from what you're doing now in terms of being drama, um, actress, or working on a on your on your craft that you're using, and I think you just mentioned. Um, public speaking, you kind of get better at it. Is there anything else you're using from something you learned in high school or in college? Definitely. I do think, you know, I think everybody should take theater. <laughs> I don't think that it should be an option or an okay. course. For one thing, actors tend to be more embodied. Um, and so you embody the art. And yeah. I think a lot of people in America are disconnected from their body, disconnected from their calling, disconnected in the sense that, they're kind of hopeless. And one of the things you do when you're acting is you really, um, you learn how to get into your body and also express your imagination through your body. So I remember I started acting class when I was five in California. Mm. We would, um, you know, lie down, do breathing exercises, and then we would be told, okay, you're going to be a tree. And so you just have to kind of um, embody the sense of what a tree looks like. And you get comfortable um feeling your emotions being intuitive wow. um, you know the uh, best secret i can tell anybody about acting is even if you have a line you have to react in a way that you've never heard that line before so you know it's like becoming intuitive to the other person you know what they're going to say but you really yeah. have to in the moment and respond in a way that is listening to them so you learn to listen you learn to uh, be embodied. You learn. You do listen. Just the basic skills of being able yeah. to speak and present and learn how to overcome, uh, you know, the the fear of the audience. But ultimately, I think it allows you to use your imagination. Yes, that we are discouraged from that as well. Wow. And I think <laughs> we're able to do that. And this is this probably gonna be a question for hot topic later, but um, I'm just giving you a heads up. So I don't know if you know anything about AI, but I feel like AI is, is diminishing creativity, where people don't spend the time to really 
I'm I'm okay with AI. I think I'm using it with the software I'm using for the podcast. But that's something we're gonna probably talk later. So let's let's go with which of your accomplishment you the proudest. You know, um, I, I'm very proud of my degrees because I feel like it, it took a lot of work. I will say that my uh, my dissertation um, from Trinity College Dublin, where I studied peace building grassroots, um, it's called the Holy Cyberlands. It's Palestinian and Israeli peace building and cyberspace. Not only that, I did that right before COVID, so I was literally studying how people <laughs> build peace when they're not in the same room, how technology can overcome power dynamics and finances and all of these things. And I did win an award for that, for um, the James Hare Dissertation Award with another person, my friend Eilis, who did a brilliant job on um, Northern Ireland and and some of the work she did there. So we jointly won that. And I love that I jointly won it. It was really great to be with my friend and realize, you know, we got... um, recognition for something that we really invested heavily into. And I mean, it was 72 pages, 16,000 words plus. Wow. Um, And it was, you know, I had to go be in a, a a place where there were, there was violence. And so it was like, that was intense. And I think I summed it up well. I was able to share people's stories and keep their anonymity. So I I would say probably um, the recognition from that, but even just writing it and whether it was recognized or not, I will say that that's probably um, the thing I'm the proudest of. And what's the best compliment you've ever gotten? My gosh. Um, You know, it was from my dad. And we were talking and having a conversation and I'd mentioned, you know, I was talking about, you know, something about my best qualities. And I'm like, well, you know, I can't lose that because that's my best quality. And my dad said, no, your personality, that is your best quality. That is, um, you know, that is gold and, and nobody has that. And it was just this recognition by your father who loves you, but also, that he sees you and that he saw who I was and he was the most proud. It's not of something outward, but of something inward. And so, yeah. And and I'm glad you mentioned that because, um, there is this line and I'm learning it too, because I have a daughter, but can you touch in the importance of the male, um, father figure or if like, what's the importance or what's the bond within you, you two. And like you just mentioned, by saying that to you, that kind of make you feel great. Like you share this because this talk to you as a as a as a daughter and talking about your personality. Yeah, I think it's really important, particularly in 2023, that we stop um, complimenting girls on their looks, on their weight, um, and begin to compliment them as we would our boys. So their intelligence, their capabilities, their strength. Um, I think it's very damaging um, to to somehow expect, particularly girls now, that they're given many opportunities, um, you know, and and to continue to kind of have this this cookie cutter thing for them to fill out. It's like, no, see them for who they are, their strengths, their talents, their weakness their good character and their bad character and accept it all and encourage those things that are not outward. Um, It's really interesting. I do a diversity inclusion training where I talk about um, 
um, basically inventors. And I think it's really interesting that I say who invented Wi-Fi and most people would think it was a man, but it was Hedy Lamarr, who was a movie star. And she helped come up with some of the coding with yeah. another person for um, during World War II. And I, I'm like, so if you want, if your little girl wants to be a um, movie star, she can also be a scientist. And yeah. I just important to remember that. And also in GPS, the woman who created GPS was one of the black women from uh, Hidden Figures. So the way we GPS was yeah. by a black woman. And I don't think we know these things. So it's really important to model, uh, to get models for little girls who are not just um, superficial, but are accomplished, intelligent people and see them, see yeah. their, their, their selves authentically. And a uh, great, great answer. So do you think that, um, so now, how important is success for you? And how do you define success? No, I think success for me, and I, 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 how I define success is not in how much money you have, how many degrees you have, how much you've accomplished, to be perfectly honest. None of those things are success for me. I think number one success is, are you comfortable in your own skin? Are wow. you, yes, are you authentically you? Or do you have a mask? You, you have to say it again. <laughs> Sorry. Um, are you being yourself authentically or do you wear a mask? If you wear a mask, I don't care how much money you have, how many degrees you have, what positions you have, what finances you hold. You are splintered and probably miserable and have lots of broken things in your life because success is being yourself, being seen, valued and known for who you are and you cannot be seen valued or known for who you are when you are projecting an image into the world you tap to something that really important and <clears throat> maybe you you experience it but uh, i'll ask you this question have you ever experienced imposter syndrome <laughs> Yes, I will say most women probably have. Um, that is something that took me a long time to get over, particularly when I had this conversion into Christianity. I felt yeah. very behind, um, but yet I had gifts and talents. And so people were asking me to be in ministry and to do these things. And I felt yeah. like, well, what do I need to be? I, the only woman I saw was Joyce Meyer. She was the only yeah. woman in ministry. So I was like, well, like, yeah. I guess I have to dress like Joyce Meyer and act like Joyce Meyer. But if you follow Joyce enough, you realize she's like, dude, just be yourself. Yeah. <laughs> That's really helpful. Um, I don't, don't, I have to say in the past five, seven years, I've really come into my own and I feel very comfortable. I, of course, am older. My frontal cortex is fully formed. I have my intuition, you know, some <laughs> aging and you can't get around it. You're just going to have to grow. I do think, the big thing is allowing rebirth in your life. Um, yeah. This show does life, death, and resurrection. If you look at the liturgical calendar, it's all about his life, death, and resurrection. If you don't have that in your life, you're not growing. So if you're not able to let some things die in your life, and sometimes that's a relationship that's not serving you, sometimes that's a job that's not serving you. Even in the garden, there's things that have to go to the compost and die for there to be new life. And so as long as you're going through those cycles and not trying to hold on to an image or an idea of yourself, I think you will be able to, and I found personally, 
find imposter syndrome less and less in your life. And you just really can start to be like, okay, I'm coming into a season where I'm having to let some things go. Don't fear it. Don't, don't try to stop it. Let it go. Feel the pain, allow rebirth. And then as you go into, you feel more and more who you are is the important thing. Being present, being known, being loved, being seen, and being there for somebody else to be known, loved, and, and seen. Uh, well said, well said. So Malika lives in Boston, much as she said, will graduate with a Master of Heart in Law and Diplomacy at Fletcher School of Global Affairs at yep. Tufts University in 2023, focusing on global governance, international organization, and international law studies. She received her Master of Philosophy in Conflict Resolution and Reconciliation at Trinity College, Dublin, Irish School of Ecumenic. In 2017, a Master of Art in Practical Theology in 2016 at Regent University. Wow, that's a lot. So let's let's take a quick break with um, Malika Cox and we will be back. What comes before making a smart decision? Choices. A smart choice is the best option, which is who we are. That's why our clients expect more from us and, in return, get more in everything we do. We understand the problem. That's why we thrive for excellence. We don't just create a winning culture. We aspire to be a smart choice, a voice for solutions. We believe in integrity, professionalism, and teamwork. Our passion is to bring results from our clients by working harder, smarter, and faster. As a team, we always deliver because we recognize your needs. Choosing smart influences us to be the best version of ourselves. That makes us different than other companies. It makes us confident in achieving our goals. It makes us who we are. And it makes us DFM, the smart choice. Yes, um, that's just for senior management. Call them now, 617-237-0106. Uh, we have Malika Cox today, and she did a great job talking about the journey, her calling, and what she's doing and she enjoys doing now. So we, you other questions in terms of, is there something you wish you knew before you started your career? Oh, my. I mean, <laughs> I think... Um, there's so much. I do think that um, life is about not just succeeding, but you know, failure is great. People who live who aren't willing to fail probably won't accomplish all that. Um, all that's that's there. You learn much more when you don't succeed. You learn um, humility first of all. <laughs> you learn um, what you did wrong yeah. uh, and how you can do things in a more hopefully caring way, ethical way, and smart way. I do think there's really important to not just work hard, but to work smart um, and to allow for, you know, time to be, I guess the big thing to answer that question is um, honestly, how to have firm boundaries to set time for self-care, community care, to um, allow rest to kind of permeate. One of the things that I, I, you know, pray for every day is that I have uh, rhythms 
of work and rest, rest and work. And I think it's really interesting if you look at even naturally and how the earth works, you know, how is that we have a whole season dedicated to re about to rest, which is fall. Everything is falling away. Then we have a whole season that's just devoted to rest where everything's dormant. And then we have a whole season recovering from that rest. And then we have one season of productivity. It's summer. And I think that would be the thing is like going into work where you're doing things that work with people, people who may be traumatized, people who are working, um, you know, who are human rights and, and community transformation, all of these things, you have to come in yourself healed and whole, but also be willing to set tough boundaries. Now, I really don't think you can learn all of that until you experienced um, the fact that everyone's going to try to to push those boundaries and you just have to learn that I'm worth it too. And I'm repairing myself and I'm priority as well. Wow. Uh, that's good to hear. Good to hear. So is it, is it, is it anything where you feel like, so because this is going back to the imposter syndrome, when did you feel like Malika arrived? So this is America now, like it's not like everything is done in terms of like, you don't have, but it's less and less and you feel confident in what you're doing, you know, you put, you put the work. Is there a moment when you realize that? You know, I think it was um, probably in the past five, six years. Uh, obviously, I still go into situations where I'm like, what am I doing here? I don't know anything. I'm an imposter syndrome. I mean, it does. I don't think that's ever going to go away. I think if you think you arrived, you've lost it because I just, I just don't think that's a thing. I think we're on a journey and the destination isn't the important part. It's the journey that is causing us to grow. And I think growth is everything. Um, I will say when I, I used to be really concerned about what people thought and I want to do the work repair and healing, but I was so concerned with um, hurting people's feelings or like saying things that might be considered controversial. And in the past five or six years, I really had to sit down and decide what are my core values. And my core values, I decided are truth telling, restorative justice, and human flourishing. You don't get to human flourishing or even justice that restores when you can't speak truth. And often that means speaking truth to power. But what I did find is the more and more I was able to say, that's wrong, you're abusing that situation. I called up previous leaders. I felt more whole. I don't know, it's the whole thing that the truth will set you free. But the more and more I was able to speak truth, the less and less I cared what people thought. Wow. And the more I was able to step into what I feel my calling. But as long as I was bound by other people's opinions, I don't think, I, I just don't think anyone's going to, fulfill their call if they're concerned with even close family members, bosses. Yeah. I think you have to be true to yourself. Did thy own self be true? Or as Jesus said, the truth will set you free. Like when you get to speaking the truth and sometimes you have to get angry about it. Like I think as long as you think that any emotion isn't beneficial in the right time at the right place, righteous indignation is important when things are corrupt. Okay. Um, Shame is important when you've done something wrong, but like, un, but even misplaced anger, misplaced shame, those aren't good. But like, when you get angry about something that's unjust and you speak about it, there will be people who push back, who don't like it, who will claim you're this or that. But you have to, but you won't come into that integrity or sense of wholeness until you're willing to do that. Yeah. I believe. 
Yeah, yeah, and I agree with you. I agree with you because this is this is where I, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk more about this. Where we need to understand we are powerful, and sometimes things happening where we we felt differently, but we need to get to that level where we feel comfortable with who we are. Yeah. Is there is there anywhere any situation you feel like people misunderstood you? <laughs> yes. So, um, I would say in the past six, seven years, you know, I, I was in ministry. I ended up, um, it was a multicultural church and I I return. Um, kind of went a little bit. Um, we had a lot of division in our church, particularly over politics. And I found that um, also there were some things happening behind the scenes that were not integrity filled or ethical. And so I spoke out about it. And I think a lot of people thought that I was being very critical, but then a lot of things came out and that church doesn't even exist anymore because there was a lot of scandals. And so I, I spoke out before it was all publicly known. And I think people just thought I was being negative and critical. And then even they realized what was happening, it was like, Oh, I understand now. And I do think that happens a lot. If, um, when you speak up, about things that are important. Whenever you um, have courage, and I think there's a Brene Brown quote that's amazing about when you choose courage over um, like complacency, the people will be upset about that. And they yes. will, they will, um, you just have to be okay with it. I'm just okay with it. And, not, and I wouldn't say that most of my life, I wouldn't have been okay with it. But if you don't understand me, I understand me. Yeah. If I react in a way that seems a little angry about an undressed situation. Well, trust me, I, as somebody who's of mixed race in the United States, I've experienced a lot of injustice, um, particularly when I was with my father. If I would go out to places with my, my white mother, I'd be treated one way. If I go out to places with my black father, I was treated a different way. So I've experienced a lot of injustice. So people can totally think that I'm angry and critical, but honestly, I'm just telling the truth and sometimes passionately. <laughs> Wow. No, no, it makes sense. It makes sense because we 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 need to to have this type of conversation and be comfortable with who we are. So there is this um saying where people feel like when a woman stand up it's not okay or it's considered something like um outrageous where they misunderstand them. So there's like, um, we, we have guests who are talking about the angry black woman, or uh, where if they act a certain way, it's not professional. A, any situation, not in that sense, but where related to you or something you didn't appreciate? I think that that's a huge issue. Of course, I've had that quite a bit. People always telling me to calm down, you're imagining things, and then it turns out, nope, that's not just happening to me. Um, and I think the important thing is <sighs> people are people and everyone's got gifts and talents and everyone has emotions. And we kind of have this idea in society that we should look a certain way, you know, maybe it be leave it to beaver or, you know, some sort of kind of step for advice thing. That is very unhealthy. And it leads to a lot of things like depression, anxiety. Um, we have a society who is like a tremendous amount of, on medications or, 
even abusing alcohol or illicit or illegal drugs. We have mass shoot. We have all of these things in society. And I truly believe it's because we are told to be someone we're not. And so if you put on a mask to pretend to be, I'm a quiet and nice person. I'm this person who I'm just really not, you know, I am pretty nice and uh, quiet, but I also get angry and I get angry about things that I should be angry about. And I've learned that everybody has their own DNA and everybody has their own fingerprints and it doesn't matter, you know, your reproductive organs, <laughs> you still yeah. have all the emotions and you have all the calling and all the talents and all the giftings and we can see people's individuals and realize that all emotions are good in their place and that every individual is unique, then I think we'd see a much happier, healthier society that was thriving and flourishing instead of a society that is really wounded and hurt and mm. broken. Wow. Wow. So great to you. And let, let's go there. So there's a hot topic. Hot topic is a segment where we have fun. We talk about topics that people in your, uh, in, in your, in your related field, but people would not have a chance to directly ask you. So let's go with our topic now. All right, so hot topic for you. So, Malika, um, can you talk about the growth or uh, the the importance of when a woman realizes, like, which ultimate hype in terms of, like, you, you, you were mentioning something where you feel more comfortable who you are. You 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 value your your thinking. You value your the way you process the world. Can you tell for any woman listening? Doesn't matter the age. Can you share anything that where like any advice for them to kind of assemble there and then embrace their 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 personality? Absolutely. I think it's important as women to recognize our worth. Um, to not buy into society's ideals of us to not remain kidnappable by being really skinny and thin is that that is somehow brings value or worth to you or your family or your career. The outside is, you know, it is what it is. Dress it, be expressive, have imagination, but by no means does it have anything to do with your intrinsic worth or your intrinsic value. Trust your discernment and your intuition. I believe the spirit speaks um, to us in ways that is so beautiful and so life affirming. And yet we hear, you know, oh, well, you're not beautiful enough. You're not thin enough. You're not smart enough. You don't obey enough. You don't submit. All of these things that can really just drive a woman crazy can lead to eating disorders and anxiety meds and, and true just self-hate and rejection. You are who you're supposed to be. You don't have to conform to any ideals. You are beautiful inside and out because your maker is beautiful and you're made in the image of the divine. You bring value. Be true to the voice you hear and know that society's plans for you are not to flourish. Um, I don't know if you if you can touch on that and I appreciate your answer where you talk about, can you talk about like the a woman full growth potential? 
is there an age? Is there a like can you analyze somebody and then you say yes, that person which full growth potential, or if you know somebody as an example too? I think that honestly, it's you know, it's not a gender thing. It's men and women. Obviously, we know a lot more physiologically. The frontal cortex um, of a person isn't even completely formed to 25, I think, in women generally, and 27 in men. Um, your intuition doesn't really get anywhere until about 28, 29, 30. So it's going to be hard, you know, if your frontal cortex isn't formed, you don't understand consequences. Well, that's why people, you know, serve a lot in church during that time, or they join the army, because you're not thinking like, for me, I served and slept maybe two hours a night, I didn't realize that was really bad for my body. You know what I'm saying? Um, so that is just something people are going to have to face as you know, I do think as you get older, you kind of get wiser, hopefully. <laughs> and yeah. at some point, you really come into your own when you quit looking at media or society or even people who wear the church authority badge telling you who you're supposed to be. When you start to like, like every morning I look at my um, vision board, it has my core values on there, truth telling, um, restorative justice and human flourishing. I know those are my core values. I look at it every single day. And then I put up there my career goals or my short-term goals for this year. Or I put on there, you know, my dreams. You know, I want to work for the United Nations. I want to work with truth commissions. I want to work on things internationally and locally. I, I look at it every day and I, and I think about who I am and I don't listen to other people. You get your vision. You know, most people just don't know where they're going. Get a vision that sets you on fire. And nothing yeah. is possible once you know that. And so I don't think it's gender. I think it's absolutely not listening to every single voice on who you're supposed to be and write it out, figure out who you want to be, because that's implanted in your DNA. Mm, so where now I know you're working on your um on your masters, right? Mm -hmm. And What's next for you and what would be the uh, ideal opportunity for you? Well, right now I'll be finishing up and um, I'm working in Oklahoma City on a, a local project and it's um, we're kind of releasing in 2024. It's called MEND, M-E-N-D. It's um, very similar to the um, Tikkun Olam, which I don't know is a Jewish concept about how you mend the world through acts of repair. And um, so we're going to be doing that here in Oklahoma City. We're also going to be um, looking at like some art and telling, like I talked about, story is really important. Um, and so we're looking at how we can reckon with our past, particularly as a state in Oklahoma, where we've had some very, really horrible atrocities, like the Black Wall Street bombing, where we had uh, Jim Crow's the state's first law. We've had a lot when it comes to <sighs> displacement and um genocide it just is what it is we have had some horrible things so we're going to look at it and we're going to see how can we mend this well we have to at least acknowledge that jeremiah 6 14 says you can't heal from a wound you say is not there mm. you have to look at it and then jesus said don't go to the altar if you know your brother has something against you go and make it right yeah you know and paul says we're called to be um ambassadors of christ for reconciliation and yet yeah. 
you don't see that. So we're going to be talking about lament, which is an entire book in the Bible that we don't talk about often in the church in America. We're going to be talking about truth and lament and acts of repair and hopefully reconciliation, but reconciliation doesn't come without these other things. So we'll be doing that, um, which will be wonderful. And then I hope to be doing some things globally too, when it comes to repair um, with some projects that I'm working on right now that I can talk about more in the future, but you can find out more at malikacox.com, M-A-L-I-K-A-C-O-X.com. And you can also go to flourishokc.com and look at the restorative justice things that we're doing. We'll ultimately have um, a page because MEND is a part of Flourish OKC, which is an organization in Oklahoma City that has a lot of creatives and peacemakers and peace builders and and people who are working to ensure that everyone in Oklahoma City flourishes, no matter what part of the city they're from, how we can make us, we just are dreamers and we believe in the dreams of each individual. And I believe that our world can uh, be mended, that our, we can live in a whole world, a healed world, and but we're going to have to do the work of repair. And I think, um, so that's the stuff I'll be working on. Wow. All right. So do you do you have any any interest in like uh, like putting a book out or working on other thing or documentary? What should we expect from you? Yes, to all of those. I uh, I have um, a small liturgy I wrote called The uh, Tale of the Two Trees. It's um, a a liturgy for the beloved, which is just a small parable of the Genesis story, but I use a lot of the original Hebrew. Um, and that's on my website, on my blog, but I tend, I'm going to be working on a book on that, um, which is going to be talking about um, really the Greek word apocalypse, which I know sounds scary, but really it just means rebirth, renew a new world and what that could look like and how we could exit empire and really walk into the new Eden, which is community repair and, um, really the Beatitudes lived out in community and ultimately institutionalized and legal Beatitudes. Like we we need a world where we care for one another and we love one another, but that doesn't come without reckoning and repair. And so that's part of what I'm going to be working on. Also, I believe, um, you know, with the men to work, we're looking at doing a documentary. So um, excited about that and even actually some fiction stories. So I'm I really think storytelling is crucial to get people out of kind of a legalistic mindset of black and white story is what Jesus told parables and parables allow you to think. And so uh, we'll be doing some stories as well in parables. And so um, there's a lot coming out. I've got to finish this last semester at Fletcher. I'll graduate wow. three, and then, you know, we'll, We'll be launching MEND and we'll also uh, see a lot of stuff coming out of that. And I will be working on my book. So can you top of your head? We we call all the places you travel because I heard a lot of cities you've been traveling to. Oh, well, I'm going to be going to uh, France this summer. I'll be in Villefrance. I'll be headed to Montan and uh, also Monaco and back to Ireland. Ireland's like a second home where I did my studies. Um, I also, I mean, I've traveled all over. I've been to five continents. So I've been to, you know, Kenya and Burundi and Rwanda. I've been to Australia. I've been all over Europe. I've been to Cambodia. 
Um, so I've traveled a lot of the world and uh, one thing you can always find are people are beautiful and they all want to be loved and they all want to be seen and they all want to be known. It's usually a handful of corrupt people who want to ensure that doesn't happen. But I do believe that love will win out in the end and that we can imagine a healed, whole, beautiful world for all. So let's say we have uh, somebody who want to follow your footstep. What advice can you give them? Um, follow me personally or just follow kind of follow you personally. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I am on Instagram. It's Malika Cox, um, at Instagram. And I also, I think my name on Instagram is just Malika. I don't have a Twitter account because, um, I had a real issue <laughs> regarding some of the things that happened on there, but definitely follow me on my blog, MalikaCox.com. My blog's on there. I'll be able to produce a lot more stuff this summer. And on Instagram, I often post things that are really important. I do a lot of my life too. I think I don't like to be just divided up. I, I want, you know, I, I'll take pictures of when I'm in France, when I'm in Ireland, um, you know, Boston, Oklahoma City, but also I do point out things about injustice and, you know, If you follow me, you'll know that I don't hold back. I'm very uh, direct and sometimes passionate. <laughs> so just be prepared if you're going to follow me. <laughs> so now, but let's say they want to literally follow in your footsteps, become who you are now, where you had all this dirty. Is, the question would be, what it takes to be you? It's going to take a lot of solitude. And here's the thing. I'm an only child, so that is a better, I'm not, I have two beautiful sisters, sorry. They're half sisters though, and I was raised very much comfortable being by myself. So the thing is, it's still hard, even though I was raised an only child, to connect those times out of rest and silence and solitude and meditation, you know, just meditating on maybe um, scripture, meditating on something simple as the word breathe. Yeah. You, I don't believe anyone on this planet will fulfill their call if they cannot get to know themselves and get to know the spirit speaking through them. I just believe that contemplation, rest, and um, silence and solitude is the only way to get to where you're called to be. Wow. Wow. I like that. I like that. So... This is, I, I think you did a great job on Hot Topic, and we're going to close it out to get to a new segment. So this segment is called Trust Me, I Know. Is there any, so Trust Me, I Know is a new segment we're trying out. We we don't have anything out of work for it, but we've been trying it out for the last few episodes. Is there any situation where you said something and people kind of doubted you, but <laughs> you had that feeling, Trust Me, I Know. So I don't know if you can share this with, with the audience today. Yes, I remember there was a game that um, some friends and myself would play in Oklahoma City, and then I played it in New York with a group of women from my church. And the game is Dream Big. And literally, 
you are allowed to say anything. And one of the things I said was, I'm going to travel the world. I want to be able to work for, you know, an international organization and have maybe have an apartment in Geneva and then maybe have um, an apartment in the United States and have these little pied de terres where I can live and I can work on global issues and work on these things. And somebody just laughed at me. It was mm. like... 13. <laughs> and I was like, hmm, okay. And more and more I'm seeing that play out in my life. But I didn't get offended, you know? And this is really when you start to know who you are and what you're called to do. But that became fuel. And when you get to that mm, point, Yeah, I like that. <laughs> fuel, you're like, okay, go ahead. I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, no, that's great. So, wow, that's one of the best. So, um, the, the previous guest gave us a great trust me i know now we have another trust me i know with malika cox uh, malika cox we got to the end of this uh, great conversation i don't call it an interview i think it's a great conversation where we're talking and we we're getting a glimpse of who you are your passion and your education and all your accolades any final word no before that so if we not if we let's say I see you somewhere and you're not working. What would I find you doing? I'd be in nature at a nature retreat. There's a few places up near Tufts that I love. I think it's, I think we're real, really disconnect, disconnected as biological beings to the biological earth. And so I try to get connected, even if it's a nice little small nature walk or out just with my shoes off in the grass, I think I'm trying to get reconnected. It's like, I feel when we're not, it's like our phones aren't getting charged. We're not getting charged. So I'll be in. Mm. Wow. Any hobbies? I'm sorry. Hobbies. Uh, I love to shop. That's not necessarily a, <laughs> it's one of those things which I do. Which I Some love. people call it hobbies. <laughs> I, love I love to travel, like shopping, travel, art, anything that requires imagination, uh, museums. I'm very much that kid. So uh, yeah, those are the things I love to do. So we, we, we like to ask the guests, uh, guests um, three books that we recommend our audience today. Is there any books you will recommend us? Absolutely. The first book is, if you haven't written it, I highly recommend it. It's by Cole Arthur Riley. It's called This Here Flesh. Um, and it's This Here Flesh, Spirituality, Liberation, and Stories That Make Us. This is, I can't even get through the first chapter without bawling. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever, ever read. Um, and then I would also recommend Rest is Resistance, a manifesto by Trisha Hershey. Um, and how, you know, we're divine beings that are created to rest and out of that, you know, whatever happens, but we're most first and most and that whole rest contemplation thing is what I was talking about. And then I guess I would say the tr two trees that I have written and that you can find on blickycox.com is that it's a tale of two trees. It's a liturgy for the beloved and, and it's just out there free. So anybody can read it. Well. Malika, we I really appreciate it. This is one thing um I feel like, and that's kind of give me the fuel to keep doing this. Where every guest is like a book. Every guest is their stories are wonderful. They passionate. They inspire me to get to. Sometimes the question I ask, it's like the answer is just for me. So and I appreciate it. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Last for you. Last word for you. Oh, um, 
Everyone else is taken. Be you. Don't be anything you are, but be everything you are. All right. So this is Eddie Dasius with uh, Malika Cox today on our episode on the Divine Purpose Podcast. Please go on www.dppodcast.com to get to the latest episode we have our blog now you can comment and you can rate our show if you want to donate if you want to advertise dppodcast.com you can listen on youtube check us on all major platform podbean apple podcast thank you i'm Elika. i appreciate it oh thank you so much so happy to be here